This episode was brought to you by the Social Fishing Membership, Australia's fastest growing freshwater platform, giving you the resources to catch more fish. Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. G'day everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. This is episode 66 and I was lucky enough to sit down and have a chat with Graham Firefield. Now Graham is born and bred and still lives today in the ACT. He's done a fair bit of saltwater fishing down the coast. He's also done quite a lot in the freshwater scene around the Canberra region. Now in this episode, we talk a little bit about urban lakes and not just the ones in the Canberra area, we do touch on them and some tips for fishing them. But just in general, how to fish an urban system, a usually shallow, dirtier water system that's usually quite shallow on the edges. Now, there's plenty of them around all of New South Wales and Victoria. A lot of them are close to towns or in towns. Some of them might only be small ponds and things like that. But Graham shares a few tips and the things that he does when fishing the urban lakes in Canberra. And hopefully you can use that in an urban lake near you the next time you're out fishing a system like that. We talk about heaps of different stories. I have stacks of questions for Graham about his background, how he got into fishing. He's got some pretty cool stories to share, which I hope you guys enjoy. And then we get on and ask a bunch of different questions towards the end about Graham's goals, any uh, dream dreams he has, any things he still wants to achieve. It's just an awesome fishing chat. Um, Graham has also done a bit of freelance writing. He's written for newspapers and he's also started his own blog. So we talk a little bit about that as well. He is also a member of the social fishing team. He recently jumped on and writes the reports. He's a contributor for the Canberra ACT region. So it's great to have him on board sharing content for the Canberra region. So without further ado, guys, let's get in and have a chat with the one, the only Graham Firefield. G'day everyone and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. As always, I get excited before every single episode and I know at the very end of them, I'm always pumped about whoever I get on and for this one, I'm very excited. I've wanted to get Graham on for a while. Graham Firefield, welcome mate and thank you for joining me. G'day Reese. thanks for having me. I've actually had you on my, I've got a list of people that I would love to interview and I've actually had you on my list for quite some time before you actually reached out and jumped on and become a contributor on our platform. So, this is going to be a pretty cool chat because we've actually caught up and fished together. Did you jump in the boat actually on that trip with me? You did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a nice little uh, morning session if my memory serves me right. Yes, yes. Well, why don't we, we're going to talk a little bit about your story, uh, what you've done, go off on some fishing tangents. Like, why don't we just start there and then on that session on that trip? Um, What was the trip like for you? Just run us through your whole experience of the trip, what you learned from it, and then we'll actually jump into our morning session and give us a run through. Or was it? Yeah, no, it was an afternoon. No, it was a morning session because you were with Dan in the afternoon. Yeah. And then we'll run through that particular session because I'd really like you to share a moment from that, which I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so run us through your thought, like the entire trip, because it was really, it was a pretty cool trip. It was one of the best trips I've ever done, I reckon. It was a really, really good trip. It was, um, it was just so exciting to fish with, you know, 12 or 13 of some of the best 
and or keenest anglers in uh, in this part of New South Wales. I think keenest yeah. is definitely the right word. So keen. Um, I think we had what five boats or something like that, and um, a lot of different experience from you know bass and perch experts to big cod experts and sort of everything in between. So it's just really cool to be able to fish with different people, hear their stories, have a chat. Um, obviously, you know, I think I jumped in with Adam and second cast. He, you know, I'm, I'm netting a 92 or something. I was was like, it second cast? Uh, second cast in the morning, yeah. Because what time yeah. did you arrive? Uh, so I got in about lunchtime on the Friday and I think I went out with you. Oh, see, now I'm not sure. Um, yeah, yeah, you went out with someone first and then you went out with Adam in the next morning. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and he, I said, oh, what's the plan, mate? He said, oh, I'm just going to throw gantrels on this little edge. And second cast, he banged a big one. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, this is easy, this uh, impoundment fishing, isn't it, sometimes? <laughs> yeah, because you haven't done a whole heap of the big impoundment stuff, have you, for cod specifically? Uh, yeah, I guess I, no, not, a, not a heap. I haven't done the sort of, you know, get up at four in the morning and um, go to bed at 11 and uh, fish those key bite windows you know yep. really hard we've sort of done little bits and pieces without without heaps of success to be honest um yeah so it was really it was a really good confidence booster just to see i guess just people's approach um how they approach the lake you know i don't think we we're doing anything wrong necessarily we'd get the odd fish here and there but um yeah just that fishing with confidence is just such an important thing isn't it you reckon that's what the biggest thing from it was do you think it's do you think people question themselves too much and don't don't appreciate the, how much time goes into catching the fish? Or because you know, if you can, if you imagine you're going out trying something new for the first time, and you've got a bit of intel, but then you're out there and you try it, doesn't work. Another hour goes past, doesn't work. That's lunchtime, like, and you question yourself, don't you? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that I mean, love them or hate them, you know, Murray Cod, you can be doing everything right in the world, and you might not get a bite for the whole day and yep. you can be doing everything wrong in the world and you won't get a bite for the whole day. But how do you know if you're doing everything right or everything wrong yeah. when, when you don't get much feedback? And I think that's what really stunts people's development is they, you just don't get that much feedback. If it was flatties or brim or, you know, some other species where you're getting more hits or, you know, more fish, you probably learn a bit quicker. Yep. Um, and particularly in winter when, you know, some of the best fishermen in the country, you're going two or three days without a bump. You're like, well, maybe it's not just me. Maybe <laughs> I could be doing everything right and still not get a fish. Mm, and so that's what's hard about it. It's, it makes it really hard. It, it makes it for a sort of long, potentially very long learning curve as people slowly start getting a couple of fish or get a couple of hits. I'm like, okay, I was doing the right thing. Maybe I just got to keep doing that for three hours and the fish will come. You know, the old saying is you just, you can't beat time on the water. Yep. I think that's absolutely the case, particularly in winter on these big dams where the bites are few and far between. So I, the, what I take away from that and what people should take away from that is that don't beat yourself up if you aren't getting success and you've just got to remember you've got to keep at it. It's not a, a short game. So you kind of can't go, oh, well, I'm not doing that again if I've had a short crack. And the other thing for it is don't expect for it to be easy either. So don't expect to have success on one trip. If you really want to really dedicate yourself to catching a big winner cod or a winner cod, you've really got to be ready to put in some time. Yeah, I yeah totally agree. And I think, um, you know, social media has probably distorted 
uh, our impression of, of what it's like to catch fish and how often people catch fish. But if everyone posted donuts, you know, on socials, you'd probably, your feed would just be full of donuts and you'd probably feel like, um, you know, you wouldn't quite feel the same way, like you were mm. doing something wrong, <laughs> but, um, yeah. people just post those giant fish or, or, you know, cool videos and you're like, oh man, everyone's catching fish except me. So yeah, definitely don't beat yourself up. Um, what you don't know is how many hours and, and, you know, liters of diesel and whatever go into catching some of those fish. Yeah, exactly. So run us through uh, your trip. So we went out for an afternoon session. Now we've got it right. Um, we went out for the Arvo session. Dan and Jake were on the other side. We, it was kind of at that point where Dan and I had done a couple of sessions. So we had sort of already started to figure them out. Adam had already got four hits for the morning. So by the time you arrived, we knew the fish were shallow. We knew what to throw. Jake landed a fish, a nice cod that we went over and took a photo of, didn't he? Yep, yep. It was, yeah, it was a really good fish on a gigantral, I remember. Yep, up really shallow. So then we went back across to the side we were fishing and started fishing shallow. Now run us through, there's two things that happened. Do you remember in which order and how it happened? And can you run us through? Uh, yeah, I think I think I, maybe the order's not exactly correct, but I definitely remember the two things. Um, one was a really, you know, big flooded tree. Yep. And it, it had, you know, lots of branches, but it had a really nice sort of, um, how do I describe it? Like a sort of crown to it. And there was a really nice sort of V that you could cast into. And I remember you saying, mate, there has to be a fish in that. Just throw your lure in. Yep. <laughs> so I think, I think I had a, uh, a gantrel with like a quarter ounce chin weight and just flicked it into the, the sort of furthest bit of the trunk, let it sink, gave it one wine and just something just went bang and hit it. Didn't stick unfortunately. And then the water just boiled in this huge like bathtub ring underneath i was like oh damn that was a good fish <laughs> didn't it hit hard like it hit like i told you it was like a scenario of a river fish because it was like cast against the log and just bang straight like whacked it like you don't get that impoundments very often it was really cool yeah and i guess particularly you know with all the live stuff um you watch fish chase the lures for for miles you know it seems yeah. like they just chase and chase so to get that fish hit so quickly um yeah it was definitely a reaction bite it just the lure splashed it probably looked up one wind and it just smacked it um so yeah a little bit disappointed that one didn't stick but i suppose that's fishing yeah and then 20 meters down the bank and then 20 meters down the bank uh you had your scope live scope out or or the um lorance active target and uh, i remember you looking down going oh there's a good fish it's like okay yeah and Cause this was your first experience seeing it. Yes. On COD. For, yeah, exactly. First experience with, with the live tech and, um, and fortunately you'd sort of run me through a couple of times, like what we're going to do if we see a fish, because yep. you know, uh, this idea that you just see it on the screen, you cast out, you catch it. Definitely not the case. Um, from, <laughs> from what I've seen, um, the boat positioning, super important the distance away from the fish, the cast angle, mm -hmm. how fast the lure sinks, how fast you retrieve it. Uh, all these little things come out, you know, in with, with time and experience. And um, uh, so, yeah, this one, I guess, you know, you've done an amazing job positioning the boat. I think the fish was about 15, yep. 20 meters away, uh, cast out well past it, you know, probably 25 meters watch the lure sink on the screen, 
let it sink, let it sink, let it sink. And then mm -hmm. just start that slow roll and just watch this big white blob flash across the screen. And I thought, oh, he's still there. And just keep rolling, keep rolling, keep rolling. And then I think as he was getting a little bit closer to the boat, there's that point where the lure starts to pendulum up potentially back to the rod tip. Yeah. And there was this split second where the lure's just starting to rise. And I guess, you know, we were both scared that probably the lure would just rise up too high and he'd ignore it. So he said, oh, mate, just, just free spool it. Just give it, like, just click it out of gear for one second. I click it almost the same time as he turns to come up to eat. And then yep. quick, 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 start, start winding, start winding. So I'm trying to get it back into gear, but this, you know, this big lump of plastic with a chin weight on it just probably just started to sink like a stone. And he went up, he looked and he spooked and he took off. It happened quick, didn't it? It happened so fast. It happens like just unbelievably quickly. And I had seen the video, the YouTube video you put up at blaring of, um, yep. The young guy, I can't remember his name, sorry. Mitch. Mitch, that's right. And if anyone wants to see what it was like, just have a look at that YouTube video of Mitch. Except, and I don't know, do you want to talk about the difference between mine and Mitch's experience? Um, you, you two pretty much did the exact same thing. It's just you, Mitch's fish had a little bit more distance between the fish and the lure. So he actually had a bit more time to get the lure moving. And I actually whacked his rod to get it moving because he wasn't going to move it quick enough. Yours was so quick. Yeah. And the fish was so close because you basically, I'm pretty sure you rolled it over its back and then I said pause and as it paused, he turned and went vertical, like yeah. right on it and it just didn't get moving quick enough. Like it's between me spotting it going wind, you processing that, clicking it in, picking up the slack, what it was done. Like yeah. it was, and that's just part of learning, I guess. But I called the fish for about 110 and then I think, Dan upset you even more because he saw the same fish and he's like, it was way bigger than 110. Yeah, I think I think you said on the day, it was like, oh, it's 105, maybe 110. And then Dan went and had a look for the same fish, I think it was the next day. And he said, oh, mate, that that was a giant. That was That's 120 at least. I was like, oh, yeah. thanks, Dan. <laughs> Definitely made you feel better. I was, I was shrinking it for you. Yeah, that's right. Oh, no, it was probably 95. It wasn't a meter yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how you start to think when that stuff happens. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, no, it was a real epic trip, mate. And um, we'll jump in a little bit later and talk about your involvement now uh, inside what we're doing with the platform. But let's jump in. Can you tell us, I'm keen to hear your story as a person and as an angler, uh, how fishing become a part of your life, how it all started, where you grew up, what was your first fish? Run us through the story, mate. I'm really interested to hear. Yeah, cool. Um, look, I'm I'm a Canberra boy, so born and bred. Um, my, I guess my earliest memories going fishing is just with the old man down at uh, Maria Breakwall. Most Canberrans will probably know the Maria Breakwall down near the Maria Airport on the south coast. And I think we had a, you know, a packet of pilchards or something and um and i just had an absolute ball seven years old just catching slimy mackerel off the wall um i still remember you know at that age you don't really care what they are how big they are but i still remember the number so i caught yeah. 10 and dad caught seven and i was like oh see you know i caught more fish than dad and <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we, i remember walking back down the wall and all the locals were like oh you know just bloody slimy mackerel everywhere you know 
trash yeah. fish sort of thing. Um, but I just had the best day of my life. So that was that was probably the earliest fishing memory I can think of. Is but, that the um, first one or your dad took you fishing before that? You just don't remember it. I reckon that was the first one. I All think right. that was the first one. Dad, Dad is actually, well, and he is um, a very keen fisherman. So he 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 grew up in New Zealand, and um, he and his brother used to spin for kawai, what we call salmon, uh, in the in the river, and there'd, there'd be fifty people shoulder to shoulder throwing sort of metal spoons into the river and hauling out all these kawai one after another. Um, what type of salmon? Like like an Australian salmon, Australian salmon. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, so yep, salt, yep. saltwater. Yep. Salmon, yep. And and they call them Kawai, which is I guess the Maori name for them. Yep. Um and then I guess yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a gap. So I don't remember any sort of fishing stuff uh from age seven. So you fast forward through to you know, I was about twenty. And, really? Um yeah, I I don't really I remember I remember a couple of little sessions here and there, like catching Australian salmon on holidays or something, but we didn't really do much fishing. Nothing back home, that's for sure. <clears throat> Not no, nothing notable anyway. So what did so, you do? Did you play sport? Yeah, played uh, played soccer and cricket. Uh, pretty keen on both. Nice. Um, yeah, that took up you play? A, a lot of time. I know it's off tangent. What positions you play and what did you do cricket? Uh, so I used to play right midfield for soccer. And yes, nice. You know, just just try to hook that ball in for the fours to try to score, and yeah, that's what I've been playing at the minute, mate. Oh, uh, good, good. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was I was pretty fit back then too, so I used to cover a few kilometres up and down the sideline. It's a shocker of a spot, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and then I was probably better at cricket, to be honest. So I used to um, I used to bat and also do a fair bit of wicket keeping. And um, yeah, nice. Yeah, played played a bit of first eleven and that kind of stuff for for the school. Yep. So that was pretty fun. Um, and then, yeah, I guess when I was about 20, um, I had a girlfriend at the time who was a bit younger than me and she wanted Can to Can I ask f- how young? Oh, she was 17, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to ask. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Doing well, uh, mate. Yep. Um, and she wanted to go to Floriard. And for those that don't know, Floriard is a flower show, basically. In Canberra, it's every September... And there's just like daffodils and tulips and stuff. Everywhere. Yeah. Yep. And it's all planted in pretty patterns. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wasn't super excited by Floriard, but I thought it was the right thing to do. So we... say, it doesn't sound like it suits you, mate. <laughs> no, it's not really my cup of tea. I'd much prefer to go for a walk in the bush. But um, so we went to Floriard and for those people who know, there's Commonwealth Park and like Stage 88 in Canberra. Anyway, there's a little pond this is about fishing, I promise. There's a little pond in... Um, Mate, I in like the, stories, no matter what. In the middle of uh, Floriard. And so we're walking around, and I see this young girl. She would have been about... I reckon she was about eight. And she's got this pink Kmart fishing rod. And she's holding this rod, and all of a sudden, she starts screaming. She's like, Daddy, Daddy, I've got one. And he looks over, and this little pink rod is bent over like 180 degrees. <laughs> And I was, I was intrigued. I was like, oh, what's she got? So I sort of started wandering over. And he's like, you know what to do? You know what to do? So she starts doing like the full marlin, like pump and wind on this little pink, <laughs> pink rod in the middle of the pond, in the middle of the flower festival. And um, so there she is winding in this fish. And I was, I was in. I was hooked by this point. So I walked over and I'm watching her. And after about five minutes, her dad leans into the pond, grabs this huge carp, yeah. And just lifts it up and just 
you know, plonks it onto the bank. I was like, wow, look at the size of that. You know, it's probably four kilos or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, like a 65, 70 centimeter carp. Yeah, like it was probably, you know, now now it probably is just an average carp. But back then it just looked so big compared to a slimy mackerel. It looked enormous. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I I started chatting with the dad. I said, how did you catch it? Like, do you have some sort of elaborate rig or like how did – and he said, no, 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 just – just a hook and a little bit of white bread. You push it into a ball and you put it on the hook and just throw it mm. out. Maybe maybe you need a little sinker or something and that's it. <laughs> well, what were your was... thoughts then? I bet your jaw dropped. I, just... <laughs> I was like, that's it. So uh, so after I you know, got home from the flower festival, I rang dad and I said, oh, have you still got that old fishing rod? And he said, yeah, yeah it's an old fiberglass um, rod, cork handle, yep. all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I went and found it. it, had this old reel that, would barely sort of click into gear. And, um, yeah, so, he, you know, he taught me how to tie a fishing knot and uh, and I went down to Blue Gum Point, for those people that know that, so like Billy Griffin, had a bunch of, you know, white bread. Put so it you on didn't the go to the point, you went to Lake Burley. You didn't go to this pond, sorry. I didn't go, no, I didn't go to the pond because it's, kind of, it's kind of a funny spot. It's in the middle of a sort of big public space and you can't really yep. park very close to it. And it's, I think you might've even had to pay entry fee because it was in Floriard or, um, so I didn't really yep. want to go back to Floriard. So I just went around the other side of the lake. Wait, was this the same day? No, no, no. It was like, I don't know, maybe two weeks, a week later or something. Was Floriard still on? Yeah, it goes, for, like it, goes for, area. it goes for four weeks or six weeks or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty long. So, yep. um, yeah, so I went down the lake and I threw my little hook with my bit of white bread down. And of course, I mean, I didn't really know what I was doing, but Blue Gun Point's one of the deepest points that's accessible from land. It's like six, seven meters deep. So you throw it out, it takes forever to sink. That's and, definitely um, a good carp spot, mate. Yeah, that's right. The deepest, darkest hole you can find. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, after about 20 minutes, the rod loaded up and that was it. You know, I was hooked, so to speak. Um, so, yes, caught a couple of carp. I had an old, did I have a string net? I might have had an old string net. So I managed to get the carp up and, yeah. uh, and, and netted it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's cool. That's a big fish, you know. And then I lost a couple. Because uh, it turns out my knots were really bad. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't. Somewhere. I wasn't. I wasn't locking them, so I was doing like, I guess it was like a blood knot or something. But I wasn't locking the tag end, and so some of yep. them were pulling through, and you get that little piggy tail. Yeah. Um. So I learned pretty quick how to tie a good knot after losing a few carp. Yeah. And then, then I sort of you know progressed onto corn. That was the so. Next that was you were adventure. twenty when this all happened. I was twenty, like, so it's about. You remember it. Yeah, well. yeah, I remember it quite well. Um, and uh, and then I started using corn for some reason. I think just because we had Tim's sweet corn lying around. And this will surprise a lot of people. I remember I caught a couple of carp on corn. And then one day I was winding in the corn and it loaded up as I was sort of winding it in to check the bait. And I was like, oh, this, this, isn't, a, this isn't a carp. What sort of fish is this? And I had no idea. So I wound in this thing and it was... It was, you know, it wasn't as big as the carp. It was like 40 centimetres and it was kind of white and it had these sort of red fins and these black stripes on it. And I was like, oh, cool. That's a different fish. Tick that, you know, didn't, yep. really, know, didn't really know what it was. <laughs> Went to, I remember going to uni the next day. There was a guy that worked in the local tackle store 
and uh, I said, mate, I caught this fish in the lake and it was white with, with red and, and black stripes. And he's like, oh yeah, it's a red fin, you know, English perch. I was like, oh, okay, cool. He's like, how big was it? Like 10 centimeters? I said, no, it was like 40, 41. He's like, mate, that's a massive ready. Like for your first, for your first one, <laughs> he said, what did you catch it on a lure or something? I said, no, 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 on a bit of corn. I was just winding in the corn off the bottom and it just ate it. <laughs> that's funny as. <laughs> so he's like, that's a very unusual way to catch a big red fin, but sure. You know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> Isn't it crazy things that happened in the early days, which are actually quite rare, and you were like, I got no idea. No, absolutely no idea what I was doing. Like, and I don't know anyone that's targeted redfin on corn before or since. <laughs> that's funny as. <clears throat> so then, uh, <coughs> excuse me, got, <clears throat> got chatting yeah. with, got chatting with him. And, uh, he said, oh, look, if you really want to have some fun, you know, you should catch redfin on lures. Like, all right, cool. What do I do? And he's like, come down to the tackle shop. I'll sell you some lures. So started to pick up a couple of little hard bodies, a couple of selters or something like that, I think. And Did you upgrade um, your setup or you still use the same rod and reel? <clears throat> uh, no, by this point, I think I had a, uh, I, I'd asked for a like combo for my yep. birthday or something. And it was like a, maybe like a 60 or $70 sort of Shimano combo. Um, mm -hmm. Basic sort of spin reel and you know seven foot rod sort of fairly standard and yep. um so i could you know 10 pound mono or something whatever it was on it um <clears throat> so started to yeah started to chase readies on lures and um started to catch a few and then we discovered that they're probably easier to catch down in the river so we used to get down to the malonglo river i remember every friday going down to the malonglo down at sort of coppins crossing and just wandering up the river with a couple of selters, a couple of little sort of hard bodies and just catching readies and just having a ball. And I guess that's where that idea of sort of walking up a river with just a handful of lures and a fishing rod started and yeah. um, absolutely loved it. So it was kind of our stress relief. We were, um, uh, you know, we we're working hard during the week, sitting in an office and then every Friday, just let's go down the river. Let's just yeah. get out. Get out so what's bush. this like 21, 22, 23? Yeah. 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 A couple of years on. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. So sort of probably mid two thousands by this point. Um, so what'd you do for work then? If you don't mind me asking. Oh, I was studying at that time. So I was, right. um, I was just finishing up like my honors degree at ANU and I was really into sort of sustainable agriculture and farm forestry and that kind of stuff. Yep. And, um, that's that's pretty much where I've ended up working ever since. Uh, you know that intersection between trying to create habitat and wildlife on farms, but also very mindful that you know farms are still businesses and they're still growing sheep and cattle and crops yep. and that sort of stuff. So yeah, um, yeah, which is great. It means I get to travel a lot with work, uh, which is cool. See a lot of and different country. And the, uh, the fishing on the weekend was a break from your study. Yeah. Yeah. Just that, that release that Friday afternoon, jump in the car down the river. Um, yeah, just, you know, forget about everything else in the world and just focus on catching redfin on lures. It was fantastic. <laughs> so do you reckon that's where it really boomed and that like after that, there was no stopping you? Like that's why you still continue to fish today. Sort of that whole oh. progression. <clears throat> I think that that's, that was a big part of it i think about that time i met 
um, two or three other guys uh, who were just really into fishing. And I remember going to a party actually after, you know, classic sort of house party. And this guy said he'd just been fishing at the lake and he caught this beautiful yellow belly. I was like, oh man, I've never caught one of those. And he showed me the photos. Um, although he, how did he show me the photos? Maybe he couldn't. This is like probably before smartphones. <laughs> Maybe he printed them. We used to develop them when we were kids. Yeah, you might have might been right. It might have been a, an actual photograph. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, cool. That's awesome. And that was... That was, yeah, I sort of started hanging out with him. We started going fishing. He introduced me to a good mate of his. We started going down the coast and then we were off. We were fishing like every second weekend. We were going down the coast every other month. Yeah. Just fishing from dawn to dusk. And it's about that time, I guess, that, you know, DVDs were starting to come out. The the fishing DVD series, Starlo and Bushy stuff was coming out. Um, lures were just exploding. The whole brim on hard bodies and plastics was just starting to grow. Whiting on popper, I remember when that started. Uh, we were out there with poppers for hours, just chasing whiting around the flats. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that was that was off. We were just feeding off each other at that point. We had one, you know, we had one car between us, I think, an old beaten up Commodore, and we're just driving around fishing bums. It was fantastic. How good. Don't you find that you, you could say I'm, you to, I'm totally wrong, but do you find those early fishing memories to be really strong and you remember the feeling you got from like how excited and how memorable such a small thing was in the early days? Yeah. Do, do, is that the same for you? Because it's the same for me. Like I can go back to my first cod on surface and it was not that big, but... It's like etched in my memory so strong. Little, we used to catch a little tiny cod from Lake Albert, like in Wagga when we were kids. I remember the one my mate got his first one, a little hard body. Like, do you find those memories really stick more so than the ones today? Um, I I reckon it depends how hard you work for them. To be honest, like, yep. I can tell you my first yellow belly I caught on a yavi because it was the middle of the millennium drought. Gugong was down at like. I don't know, really, really low, maybe 10% or something like that. Um, yep. all, all the islands were actually connected. They're all peninsulas. And I just remember walking and walking and walking. And I had these, you know, little yabbies I'd got from the fishing store. And I just walked and walked. And then, you know, I remember trying to find somewhere where you could cast past the weeds because the weeds were so thick. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so I remember everything about that fish because I worked really, really hard for it. Spent all day trying to catch this one fish with, you know, four or five live yabbies. And guessing you got it done, obviously. Yeah, yeah. It came it came out of deep water. There was, like, no fight. I had, like, a Padnoster rig and the, the sinker just went straight into the weeds and it was, like, hauling up a dead weight. <laughs> it wasn't very... <laughs> um, but I didn't care because it was my first ever yellow belly and I just... I can still remember that. Um and the first that memory is probably strong because you probably wouldn't go to that much effort today to do it <laughs> to catch a fish. <laughs> not not on not on bait. I reckon I've no. I've worked pretty hard to catch some other fish. Um, uh, the first one on lure was sort of similar. I remember like Pax, you know, Rob Paxavanis was was pretty big in the Canberra scene. He wrote for the Canberra Times. He had his fishing show. Um, yeah. So I was you know I was a disciple of Rob's and. He was, I think he was sponsored by Storm and Rapala. So he had like the Storm Hot and Tot and the Wiggle Warts and all that. 
and um, I've mm-hmm. gone out border five meter deep diver, you know, solid gold. And every afternoon after work, I remember going down the lake and throwing this thing until finally I caught a yellow belly. It took me about four sessions or something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, I remember that, but I worked really, really hard for it. It was probably 10 hours of casting for one fish, something like that. It's kind of funny how you remember those one fish, but hard, you know, like they mean so much when you work harder for them. Like half time when we go on sessions, when they're really chewing or like we do a, a trip where we get a big cod, I'm like, yeah, we're, we're good. We can go home. Whereas you fish even harder when you don't get one, but for some reason it feels better. Well, I guess, it, I guess that's, it should when you put in heaps of work for a fish, but it's yeah, I, you remember those ones. It is. I guess it's like everything in life. When you work really hard for it, you probably value it more than if it's sort of handed to you on a plate. Um, yeah, exactly. Not not to say that catching fish now is like being, you know, handed on a plate. I still I still treasure every single Murray cod because they're still not that easy to catch in the scheme of things. Awesome, mate. Uh, that's a, a pretty cool story of how it all started. And I feel if you go back to the carp, as bad as they are, I don't <laughs> know if I would be sitting here talking to you today if it weren't for European carp. Maybe I would because maybe we'd have... 80% more cod in our waterways and systems and I might have come across them somehow. But carp is what got me into fishing and we found a spot where we could just catch so many of them and learn. The amount that I learned by catching hundreds and hundreds of carp about fighting fish, I could never have learned that, I don't think, catching any other species. So as bad as they are for the environment, I feel like they've played a massive role in... I don't know if you call it mental health or just the livelihoods of a lot of kids in this country. And you the same. That experience you had at Floriard uh, <laughs> got you into it too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, I guess the, the one good thing about them is they are big. So, you know, if you, if you grew up catching 10 centimeter redfin, which at times in Canberra, like, you know, it's been a struggle to catch anything else. Uh, in some years, I just feel like there's plagues of those redfin they're all 10 to 15 centimeters long yeah um but yeah to go down and to be able to like to take kids down as well i've you know i've taken my niece and nephew down and and others and to catch a a big fish it's it's exciting like it's really Mm. exciting for people you know it's it's knowing it could be one kilo or it could be six um and everything in between is sort of pretty normal um it's pretty fun especially unlike you yeah, exactly. And they don't know it's a carp. They don't, like most people at first, like you, had no idea what a redfin, yellowbelly, or a carp was. So mm. to you, it's just a big fish. Mm. Yeah, and you're probably more interested in yeah how big it is and how many you caught that day. And yes, whether you rather. caught more than your dad or your mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So funny way to look at it, but I guess carp are here, to, here and I guess they're here to stay. So if we look at the, the, the bright side of them being here, I feel like it's, it's a reasonable trade off. Um, I'm not saying they should be here, but there's nothing we can do about that now. Mm, um, mm. So, can you run us through a little bit of a story? We're going to jump on talk about uh, Urban Lakes, uh, a little bit about the ACT. I've got a few other questions for you. But just going on from your story, um, can you run us through a couple of things? You've been associated with a brand or a blog, a social media page called Flick and Fly Journal. Can you tell us how that started, how that came about and what that was all about? And then also in the same... Uh, Avenue, can you talk about your 
world of freelance journalism. I know you've done a little bit of that and a little bit of writing. Just tell us why you got into that, why you enjoyed it and a few things that you've done on that part of things. Yeah, no worries. So um, I guess I mentioned earlier there's a couple of guys that I met at uni, um, so Lee and, and Hamish in particular, and also I had a housemate, Dan, at one point, and we started the blog over a couple of beers, as you do, um, and we kind of had this really uh, cute, naive idea, which was how do you get paid to go fishing? And I remember <laughs> having a few beers, like how do, you, how do you, how can we get paid to go fishing? It's like we're gonna have a blog, people gotta know who we are. They wanna like you know maybe they'll give us free lures and stuff. Um, so we started the blog. It was originally called Fishing in Southeast Australia. And ah, uh, that's where I've seen, I've read that and I'm like, I wonder what that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that went for, uh, for a couple of years, but when Dan joined, he, um, he moved up to the territory. So he was catching Barra and Saratoga and stuff. And then he's riding for fishing in Southeast Australia. So it just didn't seem like a good fit anymore. Yep. So we're like, okay, we need a new name. And you know, the, the, the other guys are, you know, into fly fishing. Uh, probably, well, more than I am. I'm not really a fly fisherman. Um, so we're trying to, we're sort of wordsmithing different names and we settled on Flick and Fly Journal. At the time, there was another website called Lure and Fly, which I think's now also sort of like it's also fallen by the wayside. Um, but, yep. you know, because that was our first name, it was like, oh, let's go Lure and Fly. But that was taken. So then we came up with Flick and Fly and then we added the journal because that's what we thought was sort of setting us apart. We were writing stories and trip reports and um you know yeah just just writing about our yep. adventures writing about what we learned writing about gear um and we got you know <laughs> in terms of the goal which was oh can we get paid to go fishing it didn't didn't pan out of course uh we got little lure samples from you know really small manufacturers uh little bits and pieces but you know nothing too major, I guess. Um, Bet you had fun doing it though, because I oh, remember when I first started writing, and it was—it's the best buzz. It he yeah. Look, it is a lot of fun. It was easy because we're in a group, so yep. it wasn't just one person trying to write all the content and keep everything running. And because you know, you would know firsthand, it's a lot of work to do all that. Yeah. Um. So the fact that there was four of us meant we could share it around. If you could write one article a month, we had content every week um i guess what it what it did do for me was uh it's about 2014 i think rob hexavanus was just leaving canberra to head up to the uh, sunshine coast and he still had his weekly column for the canberra times which was sort of syndicated through the sydney morning herald and the other fairfax uh papers yeah. So he was looking for a writer to sort of take over from him um, and also to write stuff for his his website. So I said, oh, mate, here's some stuff I've written before. What do you reckon? So he's like, oh, this is great. This is just what I need. So he started publishing um, some of the stories I've written and using some of the photos and bits and pieces. And then ultimately he ended up introducing me to the, the editor at the Canberra Times. So he started doing a bit of writing with two or three other guys trying to fill Rob's shoes. Yep. Um, he set me up with the Rapala VMC team for a little while, about 12 to 18 months. Um, yep. so that was, yeah, that was pretty cool. Again, just, um, getting little, little, you know, few 
bits and pieces in the mail and stuff, you know, a little bit discounted, um, that kind of thing. And then I guess, honestly, you know, pretty much the sort of print media probably finished up not too long after that. Like, you know, there are still fishing columns and stuff, but they're not what they were. Obviously we've now got websites and we've got social videos, we've got YouTube and, yeah. um, you know, I don't go to the newspaper anymore to read the fishing column. I go to all sorts of other places. So that lasted a couple of years, I think writing for the Canberra times, but again, you know, cool experience, cool to get a sense of writing to a deadline of, you know, editors changing your, your work and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. so that was all sort of born on the back of, of the blog and just that experience and confidence in just writing and taking photos. Did you find writing, it actually helped you learn about what you were doing because you have to think about it and try to explain it. And then when you go do that, you actually pick up extra things or it solidifies it more in the back of your head. So you actually become a better angler because I find that happens with myself. I don't know if you found the same thing when you wrote. I, yeah, look, completely agree, mate. Um, trying to, trying to think because I think so much of fishing is feel and feels yes. really, really, that really, word? it's really hard to describe. And, um, you know, one example would be just throwing your lure in the river and just having a sense that you should let it sink maybe one and a half seconds and like, oh no, no, that's about the right depth. And then just slow rolling it back. Yep. How did you know it was one and a half seconds? Why didn't yep. you just start winding straight away? Or why didn't you let it sink all the way to the bottom? You're like it just didn't, it just felt like I should let it sink. And so trying You've to got describe. you got to try and write that. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to describe feel and, and yeah, it's a bit of a dark art, but it does make you stop and think about why you did certain do what things you do. when you did them. Absolutely. Um, you asked the question on the trip. I think you asked it and Dan and I just spent the half day before you guys all got there filming exactly what you asked. And you're like, what makes you stay on a bank for as long as you do and what makes you move? And then how do you know <laughs> that's the right bank and how do you know where to move to? And Dan goes... You just do like yeah. that's the whole feel thing and yeah. i think it's all that is the experience and time in the water so i actually sat down i actually wrote an article today about how someone asked me a question in the membership and he goes um i hear two contradicting things he goes when i'm out there chasing yellows or even cod for that sake he goes with the yellows i get told you know if you're fishing in an area and you're not getting any hits move on like find fresh fish but then he goes i hear on the other hand people going well if they're not chewing on one thing throw a different lure at them like try other lures he's like so which one do i do because i keep going back <laughs> to the ramp not catching fish wondering should i have moved should i have fished like did i fish the bank for too long did i not change so i actually answered that question and i feel like i did it a fairly good way but it, it took a lot of thought to answer that question on how I approach us, like I picked early spring as the setting, this is the benchmark, like this is where you start and this is where how long as a guide you'd fish on a bank and then how you approach each one, kind of like some rules around that entire feel that you're talking about. Yeah. It's a bit, bit of an art, isn't it? It, it is such an art and, and I think it's what uh, somehow it's what sets apart, you know, good fishermen from great fishermen is – just knowing, you know, I'll use the example of a hard body and you're trying to work an edge and maybe you want the hard body just above the bottom, 
Maybe, yep. maybe you want it just banging into the bottom every now and then, but you know, you, you sort of get a, a feel for where you should cast it. Do you cast it, you know, parallel, slightly in, slightly out towards, you know, the deeper water. Um, so I guess ultimately a lot of it does come back to just time on the water and that, that learning, that feedback you get where well, last time I cast up there actually got snagged every single time. So what I'm going to do is just cast a little bit further out. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I think a lot of the feel we talk about is that is just experience and time and stuff we've learned that's hard to describe, but we just sort of do it naturally because, um, yeah, that's what yeah. we've learned how to do. And the hard part you were explaining earlier is that it's much easier to do with flathead than it is to do with cod. And that's where I believe, and I'm sure you agree too, is with cod or with any fish it helps, but even more so with cod is having someone to show you or explain to you or run you through a technique or something you should be doing gives you that grounded starting point, which yep. saves you so much time on a fish that doesn't give you feedback that then you can go out and do what someone else who says it works before you, you know, and then you've got to learn those small intricate things, but you've got a grounded starting point makes a massive amount of difference. Yeah. Massive difference. I couldn't, yeah, I, could, I couldn't describe it better. Um, so after our trip, the social fishing trip to Wangla, I actually went back, I think a week later, maybe two weeks later. And, yes, I, thought, you did and too. I was like, Oh, I've got a, I've got a better handle on this. I've got more confidence than, you know, the previous couple of trips I've tried, um, you know, just looking for active bait wasn't really happening on the Saturday night. They were just, everything just seemed kind of shut down. I don't know. It's probably a low barometer or whatever, but you know, there's no reception out there. So you don't really know what's happening. Yeah. Um, wake up the next day, crystal clear. The clouds have all gone. The stars are out, the carp are moving. And I just felt so confident. I started throwing the surface all around and got absolutely demolished by, I don't know, really good fish. Unfortunately it didn't stick, but, yeah. um, but just fish with so much more confidence that I was doing the right things in the right areas. And there's that feel, there's that confidence again. And it showed, you know, the results were there. Um, unfortunately didn't land it, but <laughs> still a result, mate. A hit is still a result. From a oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Maybe not the result you wanted, but uh, it's feedback that you can learn from. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And now I've got and this then, feel for what a coddy bank feels like because that bank had a certain gradient, had rocky structure, it had a few logs and a couple of spindly trees. And so now I've just parked that in the memory bank as, oh, that's coddy bank. It just yep. feels coddy now. So. And you did another trip after that to the Jack. Yeah. So now you've done another cod session and run us through <laughs> that one. You had a... Yes. Same, like, I know it's a different lake, but you would have taken things you learned and applied them to the next situation and you got even more feedback on this trip. Yeah. So when um went up to the, the Jark with Lee um, and we fished pretty hard. We had, um, I think we had three or even four sessions and a couple of times, yeah, like, you know, definitely we, moved, we did move a couple of times where we weren't really feeling it. There was no none of those sort of little carp moving or breaking the surface or just sort of no real activity. Yep. Uh, a couple of times we found all activity and just felt like next cast was going to get beaten, um, but didn't unfortunately. And then just, just kept moving around, but like, I guess we were always confident. Um, and 
found one really good sort of flat, timbered flat, and just started fishing that. And I think Lee got a big sort of swirl under his surface lure. It's like, all right, that's a good sign. They're obviously moving and they're active. Yeah. And, and they're in this area. And, um, yeah, we just <clears throat> kept casting, kept working, cast into a, a standing tree, two wines, bang, on. Uh, beautiful fish, not not massive, about 80 centimetres, but really, really con- well-conditioned fish. Looks heaps bigger than it was. Yeah, I was going to say it looks heaps bigger than Yeah, that. yeah. If I saw the photo without knowing, I'd probably go, oh, that's that's 90, maybe a bit yeah, bigger. Yeah, Maybe nice. given, yeah. given the metery a nudge, but... Um, I'd give you... Yeah, I would have given you 95. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that was that was cool just to, you know, get, you know, to, to, to get a bit more... Uh, experience get a, you know a few more good fish under our belt there was guys fishing near us um both blind and with live scope and they they got a 103 and another small one i think so um yeah i think just feeding off others as well um yeah really 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 important and just you know again that the social fishing trip 12 13 people you know huge amount of learning in such a short period of time but on this case you know, there was two other boats there and you'd hear one of them yahooing and carrying on. You're like, cool, there's good fish at the other end of this bank. I'm sure there's more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The whole, and that's the reason I wanted you to explain that is because that's that whole, you know, that process of something happens, even if it's one thing, you know, well, first you start with your grounding. So then you had the confidence that you were doing the right thing, but then you got feedback with that hit at my glass. So, you know, you take that to your next trip, take yeah. it to your next trip. And all of a sudden you get that experience like you, obviously, if you, if I was to chuck you down the south coast with Flatty's brim or even the yellows and the reddies and the whole lot, like caught in the river, you'd just, you'd be all over it because you put so much time into it. Mm, and mm. you put the time into what you're doing now with the empowerment stuff and it won't be long and you'll know exactly what you're doing there. So it's getting your grounding base and then growing from there, as yep. you've sort of explained. Yeah. Um, have you got anything to add? Sorry, mate. Oh, no, no, that's all good, I think. Um, cool. What I was going to say is let's jump on and talk a little bit about Urban Lakes because uh, the podcast is going really well and I didn't think didn't think it would be this far in before we jumped into this, but I've got, we'll talk about the Urban Lakes, um, fishing Urban Lakes just generally and then also a couple of the ones in Canberra. We'll talk yep. about that and then I've got a few short punchy questions to ask you after that. Cool? Cool. Righto. So, run us through, so Urban, we're talking urban but also lakes that are just like shallow pond lakes um most towns will have a lake like i know some heaps of small towns through country new south wales might have like a tiny little lake and you'd be surprised at how many actually get stocked with native fish so if you jump on new south wales dpi uh especially for new south uh vic's stocking thing to bring them up is a lot worse to read it's more of a table but you can still get it but there's lots of little spots the more famous ones are the ones in Canberra. So can you run us through those Canberra lakes um, techniques for how you fish them from bank, from boat? What do you do? Because I know you spend a bit of time on them. Your old man got a good fish, was it, not long ago? Yeah, yeah. We've, um, again, I feel like we've sort of turned a corner in the last three or four years with some of the urban lakes. They're pretty, they can be quite intimidating. Um, you know, I think uh, I told you the story of going four trips for one yellow belly. Um, yep. You know, that that's not going to excite too many people unless they're really stubborn or passionate um but uh they're, they're, there's some really good fish to be had and as you said they're all being stocked um every couple of years generally with both yellow belly and cod um they can be a bit 
difficult to fish. So if we start, like I guess we start with Burley Griffin, that's the biggest of the urban lakes. Um, it's electric only. So yep. that's, a, that's a challenge straight away for some people. You've got to have an electric motor. Um, it also means it's really slow to move around. So, you know, if you want to go from sort of one bank to another bank, it can be a five or 10 or 20 minute drive on the electric yep. um, to sort of change spots. So that gets a bit, um, uh, can get a little bit wearing at times. Uh, but yeah, there's some, there's some really good fish in there. There was a meter 30 caught, uh, same fish was actually caught twice, um, near Commonwealth bridge a couple of years ago. There's lots of meteries. I know, you know, sort of Roman cut his teeth there. There's, there's heaps of good cod. There's some big yellow belly, lots of reddies, lots of carp. Yep. Um, it has been really, really discolored since the fires. So the top of the uh, Burley Griffin catchment is the Malonglo and my gut so feeling. So was it, it clear before that? Uh, What's clear, for, like two inches, three inches, or it was better than that? Well, I remember uh, actually when I was fishing land-based for yellows, um, I remember standing on a rock. Again, it was Blue Gun Point. I remember standing there and I could see the lure down sort of three metres, I reckon. What? And I, could, I, could, I watched the same fish chase the lure seven times. When was that, this? When you were 20? That was the middle of the drought, the millennium drought. It was super clear. It actually started to drop, which is very unusual for the urban lakes. They're pretty much all 100% all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was running really clear. The river was crystal clear. You could see everything at that time. It was just, there was just so little rain. Wow. And now I reckon visibility is maybe, I don't know, it's terrible. It's really, really dirty and the fishing's been generally pretty hard for really years. yeah yeah so how clear was it not in the millennium drought but sort of between 2012 and before the fires was it like a meter or uh yeah i reckon yeah, yeah. wow okay yeah, it's it clearer was, than it, i thought yeah it's it, it, it usually stayed you know okay stayed pretty good um and now it's just oh just, terrible. yeah the top of the catchment was all burnt that must have just so much ash and soil and stuff must have come in and for whatever reason it's just sort of been trapped in there because yeah. it still hasn't cleared up and we're now you know it was february 2020 when the drought bloke broke with big sort of big rain and yeah. so, so that's I mean, that's two and a half years ago and it's still really really dirty so so does it run dirty when it's low or like there was periods there where we haven't like we've had stacks of rain in the last 18 months but surely there was a period there for a month where it didn't rain and you're saying even in low flow it was still just dirty yeah, it, it just hasn't it, mm. I don't, it hasn't cleared up at all in two and a half it's weird. years. It is weird, and I'd love to know if anyone can tell me why it hasn't cleared up at all. Because as you said, I, I don't think the river coming in is always dirty. Um, it just seems like all the, the sediment must be just trapped in there and it's just moving around. In the around. lake. In the lake, yeah. Ah, yeah, it, yeah. It must be like yeah. suspended in solution or something and it's just moving around. Well, I found that happened even just through the Bidgee below Burrinjuk for used to be unbelievable but then before the drought this is not a fire issue this was just because it was so it was low but it just was like the sediment was just floating in the water so it was low through 2016, 17, 18 was brilliant but then when we had that rainfall in like 18 even when it dropped like it had finally dropped it must just it was just so much rubbish like sediment in the actual river that it's like it just kept swirling mm. and it just stayed dirty and the fishing's been terrible since mm -mm. 
it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. And the sediment obviously has a massive thing to do with how they feed. They're still feeding. They've got to live. But yeah. I feel like they just completely change how they behave. And something that's moving quick, you know, going through the water at pace, just they completely ignore because it's just too much effort. Uh, yeah, I think I'd agree with that. It just seems to be whether they're feeding more on worms and yabbies or, um, you know, we've tried slowing down some of our presentations and stuff and they still really struggle there was there was a comp the canberra cup last year and almost everyone found billy griffin really hard and so they actually started to introduce rounds in lake Ginodera, which is um up on the north side of town and straight away everyone started catching you know cod yellow belly reddies so you know the, the anglers knew what they were doing it just was fishing really hard yeah yeah um uh, but saying that, if it does ever clear up again, um, it is it is a really fun place to fish. It's obviously very close to town for everyone. Um, I guess one way I've learnt how to fish it is um, sort of courtesy of Roman. So I actually bought one of Roman's old sounders about three or four years ago, and um, he was nice enough to sort of take me out and, you know, just sort of show me how the sounder worked. Um, it was my first touchscreen sounder, which I didn't think was a good idea i thought oh you just get that sun cream all over your sounder and grease and stuff <laughs> but now i okay, don't think i could live without it to be able to yep. like touch it and zoom in and scroll back in time and look at stuff that you've just seen is super powerful um, yes so if you're worried about getting sun cream on your sounder don't it's a good investment it's totally worth it <laughs> uh and he introduced me to this whole sort of vertical fishing concept that that he developed um and I'd suggest if you, you know, it, for me personally, it completely changed the number of native fish I caught, like yeah. almost overnight. We started to, you know, basically spend a little bit more time looking. Um, so it, it's probably slightly analogous to live technology in that way. You spend a little bit more time looking and then when you find the fish, you can, you know, if you've got integrated sounder, electric technology so in this case motor guide and lorance you could literally point on the screen and say spot lock me here and the motor would spin you around take you back and put you on that fish that you've just seen yeah um and you can drop down you know vibes or plastics and it won't happen every time but when they're when they're switched on you might pick up you know one out of two or one out of three fish that you see on the screen that's a pretty cool day out if you've gone from pretty powerful maybe getting a native now and then to actually we got you know three yellows and a bunch of reddies and a cod yeah you know, over two or three sessions that's that's pretty cool yeah 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 so that to be honest that probably sort of reignited my love for freshwater as, as you said we were spending a lot of time down the coast and the freshwater stuff was kind of hard um, yeah but all of a sudden we were catching yeah, catching, you know, these cool big football yellow belly and picking up cod as well, you know, find a big school of redfin, catch three or four reddies, the next fish would be a yellow, couple more reddies, the next fish would be a cod. And I guess they're just, they're all coming into that commotion, that activity. And um, it's just firing them up, I guess, when you're catching the reddies and they're fighting and they're coming up, sending out those sort of distress signals. Yeah, yeah. Um, all the predators just move in like a shark. <laughs> So with the with the urban lakes, what would you say is sort of 
um, a technique or something you could share with people about a way to approach them. Obviously, sound is a big help uh, yeah. with them. What else for someone who's fishing sort of a flat, shallow lake, what do we look for? Because it can be pretty daunting. You put in on them and you're like, uh, where do I go and what do yeah. I do? So what yeah. what would you say is something that you've learned about? Obviously, time on that particular system helps you learn spots. Mm-hmm. If you're brand new to any urban lake, what's your advice? Yeah, look, good good question. I guess um, even, I mean, if you have a sounder, then, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good free bathymetry data these days, whether it's, or paid or free, like there's Navionics and there's um, there's the social maps platform. If you can get your hands on some depth charts and maps and stuff, that's that's really really cool. We we had a we had a laminated A4 piece of paper that had the um, contour, the bathymetry of Lake Billy Griffin, and I don't know where we found it. It was some uh, government document, and we printed it out. And we laminated it and we'd carry that around in the kayak and the little boats and stuff we had. That's so, so cool. Just so we knew where the river channel ran. Because yep. you'd hear all these reports of, oh, people are trolling the old river channel or they're, they're, they're finding timber in the old river channel. It's like, where's the old river channel? You know, we didn't know. Yeah. Um, so we managed to get our hands on these, on this map somewhere on the internet. <laughs> and um, I've still got it somewhere. It's still laminated lying around. That's um, cool. of, of course it's been replaced now with sort of, you know, more fancy sounders, but it's the same, exactly the same idea. Yeah. So if you can, if you can even, yeah, as I said, if you don't have a sound, if you can just get some information about the lake, what's shallow, what's deep, um, you know, if you can add rocks into that or timber, then you, particularly if you're chasing natives, that's obviously a really good thing. Burley Griffin has quite a lot of timber and, and trees sort of right up to the water's edge. Yeah. Some of the other ones, not so much. They're sort of, um, they're either younger lakes or they just don't have sort of trees that are sort of growing in the water like that. Yeah. So for those ones, I'm thinking sort of more Ginadera and probably Tuggeranong and, and Yerebi. Um, I'd probably start, it's much more of a sort of weed, a weed edge bite. If, you, if yep. you're not sure where to start, um, just, you know, if, if you're trolling out of your kayak and you keep getting weeded, just try a little bit further out. You know, if you're still getting weeded, just a bit further out. But if you can find where that edge is, and it's in in Ginadera, it's usually about three, three and a half meters deep is where the weeds drop out, and it's quite a sharp edge. So if you can yep. just get a little little stump jumper, a little hard body that runs sort of, you know, three meters, something like that, um, just troll it around the edge in three and a half, four meters, and yeah, you'd be surprised how many nice yellow belly and maybe little cod and maybe even a big cod readies. Um, we'll jump on board. So that's, that's a, a nice way to fish. If you just want to go for a nice paddle and hopefully catch some good fish, just fish those, those sort of weedy edges. Yeah. So in those urban lakes, do you have much depth along? Obviously you're talking about the weed edge, so you can't really fish any close to the edge because you got so much weed, but do most of them have weeds so you're not actually fishing right on the edge or do you find some of them don't have the weeds so you're able to fish right on the edge and then what is the depth on the edge? Is it like really shallow so you actually find yourself fishing out a bit wider? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, in the case of, of say, Ginadera, for example, the, the weeds start at about one metre down and they run pretty much solid until about two and a half. Then they're, right. sort of, then they're patchy in sort of three. And by the time you get to three and a half, they're pretty much gone. Um, 
there's not too many spots around that are completely weed free, except I guess the other, the other, you know, sort of habitat, I suppose that almost every lake has is some sort of rock wall or dam wall. Yeah. Um, and they probably produce a disproportionate number of fish, not always the big ones. I think, um, those little crevices in amongst the rocks is really good habitat for small cod. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've heard stories of the Yerubi rock wall when there was a massive pressure change and people were just catching, you know, heaps of little, little cod coming out of the rock wall. We had a similar experience in Ginadera with uh, what we're close, calling the class of 2021. So there was a, a stocking of cod <laughs> in uh, January, I think it was. I was looking up the media release the other day. Um, uh, a few thousand little cod and they're all about 20 centimetres, 25 centimetres now. And yeah. I reckon half of them are probably living in the rock wall. <laughs> so if <laughs> you want to just, if you want to just use little, little soft plastics or, um, you know, maybe a little soft plastic with a jig spin or a little, uh, hard body or something, you know, if you, if you just want to catch your first cod, uh, you know, low light periods, dawn and dusk, rock wall, small lure, you, you're a pretty good chance of getting a little 20, 25 centimeter cod, uh, particularly as it warms up. Um, yeah, I guess it's, you know, it's close season, you know, in a couple of weeks, but, um, you know, once it opens again, you can target some cod. Yeah. Cool. So the lakes, they're very, they're all quite similar. I imagine they'd be very similar in other systems as well. Weed is be a big thing in any shallow lake system. So before you get frustrated with the weed, the best approach is to just keep moving wider and wider until you find the depth where there's no weed and that's a good structure to fish even that, that can be hard to locate yeah yeah it can't as it yeah absolutely great great place to start um and if you once you sort of is <laughs> that word again once you get a feel for it um you'll you'll get a sense of how far out you need to be and it'll change as the banks are shallower and steeper um but you know once you've done a couple of laps of a of a lake in your kayak you'll probably get to know it reasonably well yep um yeah, and then of course any you know rocky points are a classic as well. Just a ambush point, all the current and water and bait has to move around, and and most of the lakes have some sort of uh, rocky point in them somewhere. So it's a good place to you know, particularly if you're land based too, because you've often yeah. got access to deep water. Um, you could try a you know a hard vibe, you know, like a jackal or a rapala rip and wrap or something, and just hop it up around the rocks. Um, or, you know, just slow roll a spinnerbait sort of straight up, let it sink down, roll it up, that sort of thing. But yeah, Rocky Point's a great place, land-based especially. This is what I was going to say. Um, are the lakes really hard to fish land-based or that's like your only option is your Rocky Points? Is, is there any that are like totally not even worth fishing land-based or we, you can fish them all land-based? Uh, you can you can pretty much fish them all. Um, you know, some of them are a little bit easier to fish than others just in terms of, finding those holes in the weeds sometimes. But, um, I mean, Burley Griffin has dozens and dozens of spots, Black Mountain Peninsula, Blue Gum Point, uh, the big rock wall below Telstra Tower, uh, the bridges, you know, like I could go on and on. There's there's lots and lots of places you can fish there. Yeah. What about the uh, other lakes? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Tuggerlong has a rock, uh, sort of a, a rock wall, constructed rock wall. It's about a meter above the water that runs around a good percentage of it. A lot of people will just walk that and just cast lures. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, 
you know, there are similar Yerbys, you know, probably the smallest of the, the, the group, um, can get very, very weedy. So I can imagine people potentially getting frustrated with that land base. It can be a bit hard there to find um, yeah. weed-free areas to fish. So probably not a, a, a great place to start necessarily if you're just sort of new to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's lots of lots of opportunities. Yeah, cool. Thanks for that, mate. That was a good sort of rounded uh, look at the lakes. Actually got me keen to go try a bit of that because I did a little bit, not in camera, but in other places when I was a kid. So just mixing it up, that got, gets me excited for that. Um, let's run through a couple of quick snappy questions for you, mate, uh, and keen to hear your answers. Where are you... Are you ready? Yep. <clears throat> Where are you most confident as an angler? What style of fishing is and this can be any, sold or fresh, drop you somewhere with some lure chasing what fish, where are you most confident? Uh, good question. Probably probably South Coast, uh, 2,500 size spin reel, four-inch paddle tail, couple of different jig heads, chasing flathead. Ooh, I was going to guess it. I was uh, tossing up between flatties and brim. but that, that, Yeah, look, that's, I mean, flathead are, are easier to catch than brim. Um, you just chuck it out, let it sink to the bottom, lift it up, let it sink to the bottom, lift it up. It's not rocket science if you're just getting into it. Um, but the the brim thing, I've fallen in love with brim fishing, the whole light line, uh, little crankbaits, little poppers and stuff. Um, yeah, spending a lot of hours doing that, uh, which is fun, doing a little bit, a few little sort of tournaments and stuff and just really um, challenging ourselves to, to get better and better at catching those two staples. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, I guess numbers of fish, um, I'd, I'd, I'd feel reasonably comfortable these days, probably just heading out to Gugong with a little, little vibe, you know, a little eco gear or uh, just a little vibe or something and just locating redfin schools and just jigging them up on the sounder. It's super fun. You know, you can catch cricket scores of fish. Yeah. Um, and I'd probably have a second rod sitting there with a slightly bigger vibe on it, you know, something five or six centimetres and, uh, yeah, chasing yellow belly and some of the bigger reddies. So that being said, what is your favourite style of fishing? Um, like your number one go-to favorite, if if you could go anywhere right now and just oh. not your most confident, but your your most in, the one you enjoy the most. Yeah, I love the challenge and just the you know the sound, the places it takes you. Surface fishing, Murray cod down, you know, particularly in the river, wild fish. Um, you know, first thing in the morning you know, walked into somewhere cool and just that first bull for the day. It's the best thing in the world. Hookup cool, rate eh? hook up rate can be terrible. Um, you know, you've got to just, I think you've got to just expect that, that they're not all going to stick. And when they do, that just makes it even more special. Um, yeah. You know, we, we managed to get one session in before this 80 to 100 mils came earlier in August. And yeah, just massive buff. The fish missed the lure completely, didn't feel hooks. I threw it in again. He he followed it. He swirled under it. It was you know it was good fish, probably eighty or ninety, and that's just so cool. Like I didn't hook him, didn't see him, but you know because you never know when it's going to happen. I think that's 
it's just it's always unexpected when they buff a lure. I love what you just said there, mate. I just want to stop and take a moment. You're just talking about the whole experience, right? And yeah. I could just hear in your voice how much of a moment or enjoyment you got out of that session and you didn't land the fish. Yeah. You did not land. So, for everyone listening, Graham did not land the fish, but you, <laughs> so you just heard the way. I'm not saying that. I like the way you emphasized that. Sorry. Did not <laughs> land the fish. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. But it's more, you could hear in your tone, I feel like you would have been just as excited if you told me it was, you know, 92 centimeters or 71. Then, you know, the way it hit it and then it come back and swirled and just the way you talked about it and I feel like a lot of anglers, a lot of people, not just with fishing but with so many things in life, we forget to enjoy it no matter what happens, if that makes sense. Obviously, you have down days and things happen and that but a moment like that is so incredible. Yes, you missed it. Yes, you still want to go, what did I do wrong? Try and learn from it so you can grow and then get the next one. But to be able to look at it in the mindset of in, of how incredible it was for that to happen and enjoy it for what it was, that's special, mate. And I could just tell the way you said it and a lot of people forget that. So, I just wanted to bring that up because I think you've got that nailed. But just for everyone listening, there's something you've got to remember. Even if you go out and catch nothing, what else did you? What else was great about the trip? You know what I mean. It's about the journey, not tech. Not always about that one moment, even though it is epic. But you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean you've you've got to you've got to love the 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 experience and the journey of getting there, and um, just the fact that you put yourself in that position. You know, we were five k's from the car park, and it's literally the last little rays of sunshine, and um, yeah, it's it's a it's a very cool place to be, and uh, we should probably not forget that either. That you know, it's pretty incredible the access we have um, to a lot of these rivers and, and dams and lakes and stuff. Um, yeah, it's pretty it's a pretty cool part of the world to uh, to be able to go fishing. Bang on, mate! Bang on. Um, what's your next goal that you want to achieve? Uh, well, I haven't I haven't managed to tick the metery box. Uh, I reckon I've had three good chances. Uh, yeah. One in Lake Billy Griffin on on cod gear, like you know the right right sort of gear. Lake Billy Griffin. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What happened then? Uh, just cruising around in the boat, we found a big submerged tree that had a couple of yellow belly on it, and we were looking at these yellows and thinking, oh yeah, they look like reasonable fish. And then as we sort of <clears throat> stopped on top of the tree, we started to drop down trying to catch the yellow belly. This cod just came through the beam and it was enormous. Like it just, it looked like it took up 25% of the beam. Like it just was, a, it was obviously a big fish. Yeah. And so it dropped straight down, sort of hopping a fairly big vibe up and down, no bites. So I just threw out 20 meters in front of the boat, two lifts, loaded up, leant into it and then had it on for about two, three seconds, and then the hooks pulled. I was like, oh. and I had literally just changed the hooks that morning, and they were the um, the owner three times strong, and they are the stickiest, sharpest hooks I think I've ever seen, and I have no idea how they did not go into that fish. <laughs> you know, they get stuck so, on your they get stuck on your fingers when you were playing with yeah, the lure. Like I was yeah. so sharp, and I was like, how did that not go in? Um, that's a bummer. How long ago was that? Oh, that was probably 
two years, two years oh, okay. ago, two okay, three years ago. Yeah, it wasn't yep. wasn't super. Yeah. Uh, and then I was out googling with Dad, and we'd found this patch of redfin, and we'd caught twenty or thirty, I reckon. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to cast just like next to the school rather than straight on top of them. Yeah. And I was just on pretty light gear, you know, sort of 10, 12 pound spin gear, um, five centimeter vibe, threw it out, two lifts, and this thing just loaded up. It was like hooking a tree with fins. It was a proper, <laughs> proper heavy fish. And it just, fortunately, it went straight away from the timber. And I thought, yeah, I'm a chance here, even on light gear, if he goes away from the timber. So we chased him out to deep water in the boat. And then it turned around and started heading straight back into the timber. Uh, and I was like, oh, no, no, don't go in there, don't go in there. Ended up straightening the trebles because uh, they were they were light. They were, you know, never designed yeah. for a, uh, I don't know how big it was, probably, uh, you know, yeah, felt like a 110 or a 120. It was a proper fish. It was the heaviest, uh, heaviest fish I've ever hooked by some what, way. <laughs> and what about the third one? Uh, the third one, I reckon that Wyangler surface fish, the, the amount of water it moved, the size of the boil, um, it, it was, it was, yeah, it was a really good one. I suppose, you know, not discounting the, the fish that grew that, you know, you said was one, yeah. one five, one ten, and Dan thought it was one twenty. <laughs> yeah. That was definitely so, a um, that one. Yeah. So look, I, uh, I've been working hard for that metery for two or three years, like really trying to target them and just can't, yeah. just can't quite get the moons to line up. Um, I'm super stoked for anyone that can go out and do it first weekend or like I know guys that have just jumped in the kayak, had a bit of a troll around with a stump jumper and got a, you know, 109 or something like, cool, good on you. I'm, I'm still trying to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I love the challenge of it and that's it's really motivating, a bit like that. Yeah, that, and I that, wouldn't uh, wouldn't let it get you down because half the time it is about that journey, like you're talking about that whole challenge. And when you get there, it'll be so good. Yeah, yeah. And look, I mean, as long as as long as you're having fun uh, on the way, I suppose, and still learning, still having fun. You know, if it comes, it comes. So obviously, I you know love love it to happen, but um, you know, it's not from lack of trying. It's not from it's not from not having the right mindset. I don't think. Nah, definitely not. It's just. Um, uh, there's nine days left of the season, mate. What well, have you got a plan to go out? Are we going to crack it before close? Uh, yeah, look, I'll probably sneak in one little fish at Ginandera, although it's also pretty discolored uh, from that rain. But I'll probably just sneak out quickly from morning session this week. It's not yep. far, not far from my house, so I can do a quick little, you know, up at five down the ramp at six and still be at work on time. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of hours, first flight. And uh, and we'll probably head down to the uh, the river this weekend. I think it's still a bit high, um, but if we don't get any more rain, it should be reasonably clear. And that'll be it for for 22. Well, for the winter season anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a couple more opportunities. Um, see what happens, I suppose. Could happen, mate. Could happen. Uh, that's right. Could happen. Tomorrow. I just don't know. It's what I love about fishing, though. It's just like I sit like at home and then plan the week, and then you're like, "Yeah, I'll go for a session." But like, you have no idea what's going to happen. I think that's why fishing gives me such a buzz. And then there's so many different styles of fishing. Whether even if you fish, you know, everything, but even just in the fresh, there's so many different types of fishing, and that's why I'm so keen for spring. You know, fish different waterways, fish different techniques, and then you've got no idea 
how the session's going to even go. That's what I just love about it. You come back and you're like, I did not expect that to happen. Yeah. 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 You just, yeah, it's, it's, that's absolutely right. You know, you, you're never quite sure what's going to happen. Um, if we caught fish every single time, we probably wouldn't value them as much. So sometimes those donut trips just reset your expectations. Keep it real, mate. Keep it, Keep real, it real. That's right. And then you make, then you enjoy the sessions where you caught a heap even more. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Love, cool. love, love the unknown. Love the stuff you see when you're out there too. Like, you know, I reckon most fishermen could write a book about the number of, you know, seals, whales, sea eagles, uh, you know, water dragons, snake encounters, deer, pigs, whatever it is, like all this stuff you see when you're out fishing just from the sheer number of hours you spend out there yeah, is, uh, is pretty cool. It's pretty epic. Um, what's a fishing style you'd like to try? That you've never done um, is there one or any or you've tried everything you would have liked even if it's have you got have you got one or yeah i mean i think one thing i'd love to do more of is um we we don't have much access to the rivers around here in terms of boat fishing so yep. i've done a few trips down to the ovens and that's super fun just about a camp on the banks river red gums you know have a little fire all that kind of stuff love to get down to the Murray and just do like a solid three or four day trip on the Murray camping on the yeah, banks. You've got uh, to do it. That's, that's so good. Yeah. We're just trying to work out when it's going to happen. I don't think it's well, it's certainly not going to be before December, but um, maybe it'll be sort of early next year. We're sort of trying to line it up with, uh, with leave passes and, and kids and all that kind of stuff. So maybe early 23 will be our Murray trip. I'm really yeah. looking forward to that. Nice. You can actually do it whenever, but from late March through to mid-May is the best. So, like, anywhere from, like, the 15th of March onwards. And that's um, just because the, what, irrigation releases are lower? Is that right? Yeah. Well, and the water gets a bit cooler. So, it's that prime bite window for river fish because, you know, the summers the water's a bit too hot and there's a lot of food around or as it starts to cool, you know how you get that really beautiful bite window as April mm. rolls through before winter? Um it's usually all of April's like the peak, so you got you're gonna catch more fish. The 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 camping is so much better. It's not hot. It's not as hot. Yeah, yeah. There's more less mozzies. You know, it's like fire time. Um, mm. It's like really good. But and the flows are, and the flows are less. A, lot a little less. bit lower. Yeah. The other yeah. issue with the Murray in the warmer months is the ski boats and the jet skis uh, flying yes. up and down the river. Yep. So yep. <laughs> usually the flow drop. Uh, is a massive help, but you can still get some good fish when it is higher. But yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely something you should do. The, you can do it on the Bidgee too. We've done it on the Bidgee quite a lot if it, they'll ever drop it. Problem with the Bidgee is it has two dams above it, two big dams. Um, it's actually got more because there's like four dams above blaring. So that's the big issue with the Bidgee is there's so much water in that catchment. So it's just run high for so long. So I don't think it'll happen this autumn plus it's a smaller river to the murray the murray can handle bigger flows and we can still catch fish out of it um so yeah the murray it'll it'll fish yeah well enough hopefully this coming autumn so yeah you've got to do that that that'd be my pick the pinnacle of freshwater fishing is getting in a boat whether you float in the boat pull up and camp or you got the car there but just river in a boat camping in april just take me there right now. Done. Also, sign me up. <laughs> I'm yeah, in. Yeah, it's so good. What Camp about fire. Yeah, what about you, mate? You've, you've obviously done a lot of cod and yellow belly fishing and reddies and trout. Is there anything on your 
sort of like a style you want to explore in this coming season or that's a good question i'm glad you asked that because i have in terms of a goal i don't know really or, or a fishing technique i'd like to try and never done don't really have something that but i do have a plan for this spring i've obviously got plenty of plans to create content so a lot of what we do and what i do is sort of targeted around what everyone else wants or not wants but you know different trips based on um, different techniques we haven't filmed or created content on but one thing we're going to do a bit more of this year now that the membership's starting to build is a bit more trout stuff. Um, so a bit more land-based and boat trout lake stuff. Um, I'm really keen for that. Uh, so I'm going to head up to Yukonbean, maybe do a couple of sessions there this year. But the one I really want to try is a bit more land-based yellow stuff. Um, and one place I want to try it at is Junimar. Um you heard of Junimar? Is that the Pondage? Junimar Pondage? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. between Talbingo and Blaring, and it is a very tough place to fish. Um, and I'm really keen to put in a couple of sessions there because my boy's old enough to sort of walk around and play in puddles and, you know, play in the grass and do whatever. So I could actually, because hang out with him anyway, so we're outside, you know, chasing chickens and whatever. So I may as well take him up there, even if it's for an hour, and just have a cast off the bank. So I'm actually keen to do a bit of exploring there. So bit of land-based yellow stuff, um, plus we want to create some content on that, uh, land-based trout stuff, and I want to spend more time this spring uh, fishing the tumut. We do, we do it every year, um, but last spring disappeared and only did two sessions, so we float the tumut river in inflatable boats, uh, and the fishing's just so good. It's just epic. The trout fishing there is just crazy, so I want to do a bit more of that and just enjoy those beautiful, nice, sunny spring days. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got... A trip to Burundong and Windermere lined up uh, to explore Windermere. Now it's filled up, create some content there. Uh, what else we got? A couple of smaller lakes we want to visit and map. Uh, a couple further up north, a couple down in Victoria. Going to get down to Dartmouth with Matt Mildren, do a bit of mapping and fishing down there. So I, I just like exploring, to be honest. Mm. Um, and that's what's really handy about the membership because each season, especially spring, uh, we hit the road and fish somewhere different, somewhere new, somewhere I haven't fished for three years and fished, you know, three or four new spots. Um, it's pretty cool. I like yeah. doing that. Yeah, like it's, re- it's really cool. I feel like if you ever get stuck into a bit of a groove, you know, people are like, oh, well, I sort of know how to catch the fish in this lake or, yeah, just another yellow belly. I find that whole mindset disappears if you go to a new lake or a new system that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And regardless of the target species, um, the challenge of working at a new place it's it's almost like starting over again so i find yeah. you get a really good buzz out of you know catching your first cod from this dam or first yellow belly from that area because it's it's yeah, you had to think you had to adapt you had to sort of take what you know and then change it up and so yeah it's cool i, I love that aspect like you of exploring new areas and embracing that challenge of trying to work them out yeah yeah and that's the whole point we do that for us and to share that with others so um, yeah, I've got some pretty cool spots. I'm ca- even going back to Burundong, like I haven't fished it for two years. So, you know, the first fish I catch on our trip to Burundong will be a massive buzz more so than catching one at Blaring or Burundjuk that's close to home. So yeah, I, the one thing too, that I'm really keen for that's sort of fishing related, but not so much. And I think it's something for me, I really, really enjoy. And for others, you know, it might not be the part you enjoy. So don't do it as much but I find that on these trips try to do things that you enjoy the most and one thing I love doing is that whole camping aspect and that's what I really miss 
during winter cod stuff because winter yeah. cod, we're fishing in the dark so often. That Wyangler trip we didn't, which I really liked. We actually didn't push ourselves in the dark at all um, and we did that whole camping thing. That's what I'm really keen for this spring is yellows. It's all daytime stuff. So as soon as she's dark, it's sit by the fire, campfire. So that's what I really love about early spring and autumn period. So especially next autumn, I'm going to do a lot more river stuff because river's just my favorite. And I'm going to do more camping trips because I feel like sitting around the campfire and that is like full immersed. You got stars, moon, camp feed, whether it's camp oven, cook up, whatever it is, sitting by the river, the boat's tied up. Uh, talking, spending time with mates, that's the pinnacle, I reckon, of well, life, but just enjoyment. So that's something I really want, regardless of the fishing, as long as it's not pouring rain. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's not pouring rain and not getting eaten by mozzies, that I find is just stuff I want to do a lot more of. Something yeah. that I used to do stacks of when I was 17, 18, 19, 20. We used to do it all. We used to do it every single weekend. It was the best fun. Mm-hmm. We'd go for four-day, three-day floats in the boat. I'd get parents to drop me off or you know we'd two mates would drop one car at the bottom one at the top drop the boat in fill it up with just junk not junk but food and swags it's just stuff everywhere you were walking over swags and just float for three days pull up on last light you'd be like battling the light the light would be going down and the fishing would be on like one of the trips we did you know we'd get between two boats for three days you get you know 50 60 cod yellows the mix so the bite periods were like those windows but because we, we had the swags we just pulled up wherever so you could fish right till last light mm. so we're throwing surface lures and your mate's like yep got one he's like on the bend in front of you and like on the top of the bend and we're on the bottom of the bend and you know you catch a fish and it's like right we take some photos like we're actually gonna find a camp spot now but that whole thrill of that's just great fun yeah yeah and i noticed that you mentioned you know barandong windermere Junamar, I, I didn't hear Lake Billy Griffin, Lake Tuggernaul, Lake Billy oh. Griffin. <laughs> What's going on? Actually, isn't, that, isn't that on your on your bucket list? <laughs> it is, it is, it is. So actually, I'm <laughs> totally sorry, but on my list, I actually do have the ACT lakes to head over oh, and there you content go. on. Yeah, I'm appeased. Yeah. I'm appeased now. Thanks, mate. Yeah, I should bring it up. I've got it here on the computer in front of me. I'll bring it up and I'll run you through the plan for spring, but I promise you uh, that... ACT Lakes are on it because I really want to create some content on that. Where is my filming thing? Okay, so here we go. I'll run you through it. Oh, okay, you're not, you're not just ma- making this up on the spot. No, no, no. no I promise I'll take a photo for <laughs> For the maps, for some of the maps that I want to create this spring, I've got Dartmouth, the ACT Lakes, Manus Lake, which is a very small lake close to home here, uh, which actually has some pretty good fishing. I'd like to get to Pijar. Um, I'd also like to get some of the lakes around Lithgow. Um, so you've got, I can't think of it off the top of my head. Yeah, there's that bass, famous bass one that I've forgotten I've the gone, name of. And gone blank. Thompson's yep. Creek or Thompson's Power yeah. Station, whatever it is. Yeah, yep. with the trout in it. Yep. Um, can't believe I've gone blank on that bass lake. Um, and then as we roll through till the end of spring, I want to do a trip down to Victoria and do Cancurran. At some stage, the Crater Lakes down uh, in Victoria, Blue Rock and Glen Maggie in the summer. Um, and a few of the other sessions we're going to do, oh, we're going to chase tel- trout cod at Talbingo. There's trout cod in Talbingo. I'm still yet to catch one. Um, really, really, really going to get one out of there. Uh, Junamar, you can be in, yeah, and the rest of it. So I promise you, ACT <laughs> is on that. So I'm coming over, mate, and I'll hit you All up. Right. We'll go for Sounds good. Session. Sounds great. Yeah.
Yeah, we'll do that. Um, question real quick. Do you fish those lakes all from a boat? And then what do you do? Do you just bag up the electric, uh, the petrol, or do you have to have a kayak for some of them? Um, yeah, look, it's there's a few rules because we do love rules in the ACT. So Gugong is the strictest of all the lakes um, where, yeah, you're not meant to have any fuel on board. You know, your fuel lines are meant to be bagged. Your, your motor has to be physically bagged Yeah. Um, with orange, you know, garbage bag sort of thing. Um, yeah. so, so that's electric only and that's really strictly enforced because it's like a water catchment. So that's how Is it ACT water. water even though it's in New South Wales? Correct. Yeah. So it's yeah. all ma- it's all managed that way. So they have ACT ranges out there, which seems yeah. a bit a bit weird in New South Wales. Um, and then I guess Burley Griffin, the reason they've chosen not to allow petrol motors is mostly for sort of the noise and the aesthetics. Yeah. So so there are exceptions. A lot of the like AIS rowing clubs and stuff will will you know be rowing around the lake and their coaches will have little tinnies with nine point nines on them. Right. But they don't they don't enforce the whole sort of bagging thing and the fuel thing because it's not about water quality. Uh, so you can drop I can drop my boat in there and just not use the petrol. Correct. Yep. Correct. Yep. And um and then Jinandera and Tuganong are in the same category as each other that you actually you're allowed to use your petrol motor. Um you're not allowed to go over I think it's eight knots. Uh and but you can just sort of idle around and you can move from spot to spot. Yeah, um, cool. Yeah, so that's that's kind of cool in terms of just not not accessibility. Look, yeah, not not you know there's not really high numbers of people fishing, but you know you can go out there on a Saturday and you might see half a dozen or a dozen boats, yeah, um, sort of idling around and having a bit of a fish, which is cool. And then I guess generally speaking, the others are too small, uh, yes, and or have no ramp or yeah. yeah so it's, so like uh, Yerby, you could put a um, kayak on. Uh, a couple of the other small ones you could probably get a kayak into if you're keen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. But it pays to it pays to have a quick dig around and find the rules before you head out because as you know you sort of get the idea there. There's each one has its own little sort of rule set. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that can scare people, deter people that aren't from that area to travel if they don't know what the go is. Yeah, that, that's right. No one wants to like get in trouble or do the wrong thing. That sort of thing. Awesome, mate. We've uh, gone for well over, well, I don't have a limit, but, you know, the the goal for what I like to hit. Um, it's been good. Went very quick. Uh, thanks for joining me. Do you have anything else you'd like to bring up or talk about um, before we do finish? While you're thinking of answering that question, because I like to fire off a lot of questions if you haven't noticed. Do you have a favorite lure? Oh, that's a good question. Just a favorite um, lure. I know this lure is everything. I reckon is one? It, it is. It's probably behind me here in one of these boxes because this room is full of fishing gear. Um, is it? Oh, I'm spewing. It's not a video, mate. Yeah. Well, this is this is the issue when you when you take on salt water and fresh water, you just have to have like twice as much gear. So there's just gear yeah. com- coming out my ears from one thousand size reels all the way up to three hundred size bait casters. Yeah. Um, probably. The Coolabung, I think it's the 150 Cod Walker, I think it is. Uh, I should know the name of it, but that literally the one lure, jointed surface lure, has probably caught me more fish off the top than any other lure. Than any other like surface lure. Like, you know, I've got the Pompadours, I've got the yep. the, old, the old Mantis, uh, Bramba, all that. I, I, this thing just 
works and it's indestructible and I've changed the hooks a couple of times and it's like it's missing half its paint. It was yeah, black good. and now it's kind of half black, half wooden. Uh, the bibs never broke. Oh, I might have broken one bib, you know. The Murrumbidgee where we are is very rocky, so you do tend to land a few lures on rocks, particularly in the dark. Um, yep. But that thing just keeps going and just keeps catching fish, so I just love it because it's just caught so many fish and is indestructible. That's cool. Is that the one you missed the fish on the other day in the river? Uh, that was its bigger brother. That was the 200 mil yep. version. Um, I can't, yeah, I should know what it's called, but I, I think it's the Coolabung 200 mil cod cracker, is it? Or cod walker cod, something like that. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. Yep. Yep. Nice. That's a good uh, lure to be your favorite lure, top water. It, yeah, it's pretty fun. I've, I've sort of, yeah, I haven't found like the perfect swim bait or the perfect spinner bait or like yep. I just use them and they catch a few fish and then I snag them and pay another yep. bunch of money for more and... <laughs> <laughs> Are you um are you a man that's going to hang that on the wall if it catches a metery, that paddle? Uh, or are you I, someone to continue fishing the lure? I don't know. I haven't uh, like you know. I guess I haven't hit any of those massive milestone. Like I've got, I haven't quite hit sixty centimeters for a yellow belly. It's sort yeah. of high fifties, fifty seven, I think it was. Uh, I haven't quite cracked the metery for cards up in the nineties. Haven't quite cracked the metery for flathead, although that's pretty rare. Um, but you know, again, like in the nineties. So I don't know what I'd do. I probably, I probably would retire it. I reckon. You know, what's what's twenty five bucks? Just I think it's it'd be funny, shame. It'd be, it'd be it'd be it'd be a shame to lose the yes. lure. Um, yeah. You know, like straight after. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a. I got all my metery retired, but I've actually got a spinnerbait hanging on the wall in my shed just randomly because it caught me twenty-two cod, and I, I know the next one's just going to pull the whole thing apart. So I was like, "Oh, you barely got any skirt left, you poor thing. You can just hang on the wall." So I've got, and I got other random little lures hanging there. But yeah, I've got a spinnerbait, just a five-eight ounce purple yep. pink spinnerbait. It's got twenty-two cod, and it's just hanging it's, on the wall. Earned its retirement, that one. Yeah, it probably wishes it wasn't because it's in a pretty bad spot gets a bit of sun <laughs> but yeah no it's um yes but other than that i only retire the metery laws but it's not for everyone it's not for everyone i was talking to adam on the camp trip and he was like nah just keep fishing it yeah everyone uh does it differently mate that's fishing and isn't it everyone does it differently <laughs> yes yeah even if you add that yeah to the whole fishing aspect so anything else you'd like to add mate oh, thanks for coming on by the way really appreciate it no that's all right thanks thanks for having me it's been um yeah it's been super super fun and yeah it's been really cool to be a part of social fishing for what's it been now maybe four or five months as a as a writer contributor yeah to talk uh, us through i could explain it but just i was going to mention what we said we'd talk about it but just what your involvement what you've jumped on to do inside of social fishing yeah so um so i guess i'm the like i'm, I'm writing all the canberra um sort of reports at the moment so covering off on yeah all the lakes we just talked about um and also the murrumbidgee river through the act and if it ever stops raining you know maybe the long the low as well um so yeah so trying you know writing writing a monthly update on each of those lakes how they're fishing uh which has been pretty quiet to be honest the last two mm. or three months there hasn't been yeah many fish caught socials are pretty quiet there's didn't um, start yet the wrong time <laughs> sorry about that mate 
Jumped on at the wrong time. That's okay. If you can write when it's not fishing well, you can definitely write when it's fishing good. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. So, um, yeah, so it's been it's been fun. It's actually been quite motivating as well just to um, to head out all through the winter and keep catching, well, trying to catch fish. Uh, mm. I'm still learning a lot. You know, that's, um, you know, there's that famous saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, I reckon it takes a village to raise a good fisherman too. I'm, I'm really lucky to have a group of mates who are absolutely fishing obsessed and we have a little messenger group and it just doesn't stop. Everyone is yep. just posting every single day. Oh, I just found these lures on special. Oh, I just caught this fish. Oh, do you reckon this will work? Oh, I just saw this cool video. Um, so collectively, you know, we're all pushing each other, all learning all the time, Yeah, which is obviously the best part of that and the best part of social fishing as well. It's just you, you can, you know, if everyone shares, we all learn together and we're all going to get better heaps quicker. Whereas if you, if you don't share at all, then, um, yeah, everyone else has got to sort of work it out the hard way. So, mm-hmm. Bang on, mate. Summarise that perfectly. And that might uh, pull us up, I reckon. Thanks no worries. For Sounds good. Um, I'm, uh, I'm getting thirsty, so. Yeah, yeah. Did you not have a cup of water or a drink beside you? I'd, mine's gone. It's <laughs> cool. Yeah, two. I think it lasted 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just want to say thanks heaps for jumping on board too. It's really good to have you in the platform. I know you've been riding for some time, so your skill set to be inside is really awesome especially for that whole Canberra region too i know it's a popular area so thanks for jumping on board mate and that's quite you, all right i hope you enjoy it and we continue to have pretty awesome experiences yeah yeah absolutely i'm just super stoked to get to hang out with you know yourself and karen and matt and adam and all these amazing riders and amazing people they're all just really cool people so yeah i'm glad uh, you left dan off that list yeah <laughs> yeah sorry can you can you go back and edit that uh yeah i will no no it's all right i like it i like it i hope I did, he listens i did see you, pub, you published the little net video the other day i'd had a good laugh at that one yeah 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 the part he's into me that we're still going on about that but i feel like that deserves a couple of years worth of <laughs> i think it, I, I think it could be some sort of award it could be like the the dan weber award for you Poor know, net when, jobs. when something or just when something goes a bit wrong on the boat you just like, yeah oh, there's there's the weber award <laughs> everyone listening can you please catch on like <laughs> even if you guys just follow us listen hashtag just, dan please, weber hashtag, award. yeah dan yep. weber award yep. or just the weber award i love it How it'll good. be trending weber award there we go yeah it'll trend i feel like you're going to be the one hated by him now not me yeah it's true he's never he's never going to want to like go fishing with me ever again or tell me anything about barnjuck or (laughs) sorry dan i didn't mean it yeah good thanks mate you'll have a bit of fun in life eh? thanks reese yeah no appreciate it's been a really good chat appreciate it awesome i'll talk to you soon thanks mate cheers mate And that brings us to the end of this episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you did, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. I love reading all of your comments and they go a long way in building the future episodes. If you have anyone in particular you would like us to interview, post them there and I'd love to hear your thoughts. We have some awesome topics coming up soon and some very special ones, so I'm very keen to share them with you. And as always, if you are after more content, if you want more fishing content, videos, articles, reports, the whole lot, it is all inside the SF membership. That's where we put in our time day in, day out. We have a stack of content 
inside the membership platform. So if this podcast has got you excited about freshwater fishing and if you just want to take that next step, you want to learn a little bit more, make sure you jump on and check out the social fishing membership platform. It is growing every single week. There are so many freshwater anglers jumping on board and the results they are getting is incredible. I love reading the messages. I get messages daily from members thanking me but for the content, and it's just not me, they're thinking everyone who puts time into the content. The whole team behind Social Fishing does a great job. There's contributors from all throughout New South Wales and Victoria, even in southern Queensland, creating report content. We create videos, we create articles, running you through every aspect of chasing golden perch, cod. We're putting a lot more time into trout and also bass this coming summer. We're also working on some more maps. A few of the maps that are coming up this spring, uh, we're working on Talbingo, Yukonbean. Uh, we're going to be doing some driving through the Blue Mountains region, sort of up around the Lithgow area. Uh, we're going to have some more trip reports from Burundong and Windermere. We're also looking to head down into Victoria a fair bit this spring and summer, fishing hopefully the Crater Lakes, also down in the Gippsland region and a few other systems down that way as well, including Dartmouth. So anyway, guys, that is it from me. And remember, if you want more, head over to socialfishing.com.au and check out the membership. Now, one other thing before I finish up is we have just released a brand new ebook. So if you are on our exclusive email list, you will be receiving that in the next couple of weeks. But if you're not on that exclusive email list, it is completely free to join and the ebook is completely free to get. Now, the ebook runs through my gear and tackle, as well as a few other recommendations from the SF team. So if you're wondering or if you're in the market looking for some new gear, you want to buy a new rod for say spring yellows, reels, you're not sure what models work well, we've put through a lot of gear through its paces myself and the SF team and in that I run through exactly what we use, what I recommend for what style of fishing, whether you're chasing big cod in the dams, you're chasing cod in river systems, even out of a kayak, you want a nice little rod or your spin gear for your trout and your yellow belly. Run through it all in that. We also run through our favorite braid and leader and there is also a list given by the SF team on gear that they've tested and that they love as well. So no matter what brand, we've got a bunch of different recommended gear in that. So that's it for me for this episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another one. Talking all about spring yellows, this spring coming up, we're going to be talking about spring yellows, we're going to be talking about trout, and towards summer, we're going to be doing a lot more bass content. So we're going to have a lot more variety. We've been talking a lot about cod over the last three months. Bring on the warm weather, bring on the spring. I've got heaps of epic content coming for you soon. You've been listening to the Social Fishing Podcast, and I'll be talking to you soon. 